Hello. Ah, public persona, Michael. So glad you came. Yeah, sure, of course. Come on, have a seat. Ah, all right, thanks. Yeah, how can I help you? It's been a crazy year, huh? Yeah, yes, it has, actually. That's why we called you in here. As you know, as the executive function of your brain, I have some concerns about what's been going on. Yeah, that makes sense. What do you got? Well, maybe we could just start with this latest Twitter blow up. Yeah, okay. You tweeted... Jesus was Christ, Buddha was Christ, Muhammad was Christ, Christ is a word for the universe seeing itself, you are Christ, we are the body of Christ. Yep, correct. Pretty good tweet, huh? It did get a lot of engagement, I'll give you that. There are 2.7 thousand comments on that tweet right now, yet alone the thousands on Instagram. Wow. And all the discussions elsewhere. There are 1.6 thousand retweets of it, quote tweets. Yeah, that's a lot. But only 752 likes. Yeah. It's not a great ratio. No, it's not. It's not a great ratio. So what do you make of that? I don't know. I guess it seems everybody's not quite as gung-ho about, you know, reframing Christianity to be a non-dual technology uh, as I am. Yes, I think that's a reasonable assessment. But still, I mean, it's kind of surprising that they were that mad because we've been talking about that the whole season of this podcast. Sure. But have you been paying attention to what's been happening with the podcast? What do you mean? Well, here, let's check out the iTunes reviews. I mean, I don't know if going to the comments is a great idea. Okay, here's one. It's uh, rated one star. The title is sad, period. Hmm. Donald Trump reviewing? Don't get defensive. <laughs> Sorry. I loved this podcast in the early days. It was thought-provoking, insightful, and relatable. As it's progressed, it's turned into something very different. It should know, It should definitely no longer be labeled Christian. It's anything but. I mean, non-dual Christian Michael is Michael Gunger is off the deep end. Very sad to see him so confused, so egotistical, confused. and misleading so many. I mean, I don't know about that. The show could have been so great. It's good. It's a good show. Can we cool the defense for a second again? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Now, of course, there are positive reviews as well. I don't just want to focus on the negative. But I do just think it's worth noticing that there is a large percentage of the liturgist audience that has disconnected this season. Okay. Listenership is down, Patreon's down significantly, almost 70%, actually. Yikes. You may notice that uh, I'm not even a real person. You've shifted your own voice because you can't really even afford to hire a co-host with you at this point. I mean, come on, what? You got to break the fourth wall like this? I'm sorry, I don't mean to embarrass you. But as the executive function of your brain, I just think it's worth coming up with a plan on how to not destroy everything that you care about in your life. And you do care about the liturgist community, yes? Yes. All right, what do we do? Well, perhaps the most important thing I think we need to do is help people understand that there is still a place for them in the liturgist community if they're not interested specifically in Christianity or in Christianity as a non-dual spiritual technology. Yeah, of course there is. Yes, but we need them to know that, and we need the podcast and community and all of the work that we're doing to also reflect that, to not just be making the non-dual Christian stuff. Yeah, I like that. And you might not like this part, but I think you're going to have to ask for some help. Mm. Okay, so break the fourth wall again, shall we? I mean... Are you asking me? I'm not a real person. I mean, are any of us, though? 
I think what's happening now may have a direct correlation with some of the numbers of this season on the podcast. Okay, okay. I'm going to talk to the people. Hello, people. Before I begin my plea for help, let me just thank those of you who already are helping us. Those of you who have supported us, uh, some new people, some people have been doing it for a long time. Thank you. I don't want to forget or just focus on the people who have left or the things that we need. I want to also call the attention to the fact that there are a lot of people who are still here. And thank you, thank you. Not just for your finances, but for your involvement, for who you are. The people in this community are amazing and have enriched my life and so many lives. Okay, so now the humble part. Help. <laughs> Please, someone help. If you if you enjoy the liturgist community, if you enjoy the work that we make, if you if you resonate with the idea of spiritual work and spiritual community being made for people regardless of their beliefs, regardless of their station in life, that we can come together and be ourselves fully, have our own convictions, and somehow still be together. If you like that and you resonate with this work, please help us. If you want to know how to do that, go to theliturgists.com and you can join. We actually just launched a new website that has all of the work that we've been making through the years, all the meditations. We've got hundreds of podcasts and meditations and all sorts of resources um, and ways that you can connect. We have weekly events that we all get together over Zoom and uh, different things happening in the community, different events coming up. Um, go to theliturgists.com. Again, it's pay what you can. So, please do pay what you can. If it's not anything, you don't have to pay anything. If you are more financially secure and you can pick up some of the slack for those of us who can't pay much, thank you. (laughs) There are some of you that do that. And the more of you that can do that, the better. We are in kind of a precarious place as an organization, honestly. Um, But we're still committed to this work and we're still committed to this community. And I'm just going to trust that, you know, my job is I'm going to keep Keep coming to the microphone, keep making stuff, um, and I hope that we'll find some coins and some fish's mouths, if you will. But whatever you can bring to this community, please bring it. Bring all your weird, all your you know, weird convictions and beliefs and lack thereof. Uh, we find value in how you are in this moment. We think it's just as it should be, so liturgist.com. Come on in, be a part of this thing with us. Well, look at you being sincere and asking for help. Well done. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that feels good. And I, I think it's probably time to close this little conversation up because as entertaining as it is, we have a podcast to get to today. A really interesting one, actually. Oh, good. A guy named Jimmy Needham who disagrees wildly with everything we're doing, even though he listens to the podcast. It's a fun one. I would just like to offer a couple of quick disclaimers about the episode, if that's okay. Yeah, okay. First, I'm trying to speak the language of the person that I'm disagreeing with, not for the sake of pandering, um, but just for the sake of not fighting battles that we're not actually fighting in this particular conversation. For instance, I only use he pronouns for the divine and only use the word God for ultimate reality. And these are not things I would normally do in my usual conversation, but again, not trying to fight those battles in this conversation. So I was trying to 
have a similar enough language and lexicon with Jimmy that we didn't get stuck in the weeds on any of that. And then second of all, there was one point that I make at the end um, that I wanted to clarify. When I say the only point we disagree on, what I was really trying to get at is the root point that I think we disagree on. I wasn't in that affirming that we agreed on everything else. Um, I really was trying to get to the root of things. So maybe that's enough disclaimer. Thank you, executive function of my brain, for calling me in here, giving me a good talking to. I hear, I hear what you're saying. I'm going to try to heed your words. Well, good. Yeah, that's it's my pleasure. It's what I'm here for. And thank you, thank you uh, for being, you know, unhinged enough to create a false persona and have a conversation uh, with him on a podcast. That's an interesting choice to make. Mm. You're welcome. Okay, Jimmy, welcome to Los Angeles, to the Liturgist Podcast. So happy to have you. Hey, man. Flying in from Dallas. How about, so let me just give a quick, quick, well, how long ago did we meet? Like Years and years. Uh, to, the first time I hung out with you, you and Lisa played acoustically in the living room, beautiful things. And you had not we recorded it. We had not recorded it. it, yeah. So how long ago was that? Probably 2008. Yeah. Nine. Yeah. I think it was 2008. Yep. Um, okay. So a while. And yeah. we, one of our, we, we immediately became like debate friends. Yeah. I've, I've, I have debated in myself what to call you to my friends. Cause they're like, yeah, you know, Michael, I was like, yeah, we're for, we're for, we, we debate a lot. It's not I don't like know we're, if, we're, we're not frenemies. We friends? Yeah. I, li- I like I like the guy. You, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. I don't know if there's a word for it. Yeah, hey, well, you're my friend. Today. Hey, I I like it. I feel Let's, like it, we had a nice lunch together. We did, and it, we didn't even debate each other. Not once. We just no, were I, being I've friends. I've been storing it up. So maybe we can move into friend category. I accept these as terms, a, <laughs> as opposed to just like. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't even know the right the word. Yeah, but uh, uh, what is the word? It's a. Uh, uh, what's the Facebook button you can click? It's complicated. It's complicated. It's complicated. Yeah, that's right. But here's what I love about Jimmy. I love lots of things about Jimmy. But one, he he was a Christian music guy, and he was always like a real preacher on the mic. We were laughing about that today because now he's a real preacher. <laughs> and I was like, you kind of were always a preacher anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Facts. Um, and we never agreed theologically. We've always been like on very <laughs> polar opposites of any spectrum. Um. But he's always been, we always can laugh and I feel like we can respect each other mm. somehow. And, uh, and while we both can be passionate about what our convictions are, um, for some reason I don't get a, there's not like that fearful get away from me feeling that you get when mm. you're talking to some people who disagree with you and then they're like coming at it from fear. Mm. Um, so I, I like that you can have convictions and that we can actually talk and disagree respectfully. He listens to the Liturgist podcast, <laughs> which I find fascinating. <laughs> Not in front of my kids. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's private. It's a private thing. 
that's, right. that's a lot of people. He lives in Dallas. That's a lot of Texas people we've found <laughs> through the years. Like it's not most, yeah. you, you got to kind of keep that on the DL. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I've been listening for a while though. I, I think that's amazing. Why? Why do you listen? <laughs> that's a great question. Why are you doing that? Uh, I've always been a curious person. Uh-huh. So there's that. I mean, I bought your book. I've bought books that you recommended. I'm reading through Richard Rohr's uh, wow. Universal Christ. Wow. And, How do you feel about that? Uh, I, uh, I disagree. We're, we're, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we're he seemed like ourselves. a nice guy. We're getting our ahead yeah, of ourselves. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, uh, <laughs> I, I listen because I... I am curious about how people think about what they think about and, and how we reason to our conclusions. Uh And, uh, you guys are nothing if not doing that all the time. And, uh, so, um, and I'm, you know, I'm in Dallas. So like my tribe is not having the same conversations that your tribe is, you know? So, uh, I listen because I want to know what, how, the things that I think are most important in the world are being understood in other places Mm -hmm. and by other people. So it's been helpful in that way. So you guys aren't like doing embodiment dance right now or anything? Um, you know what? We haven't introduced that yet at our church, but, uh, I'll continue praying about it. And if I get a verbal, yes, (laughs) I will do it. Can you repeat what you told me at lunch about, (laughs) about embodiment dancing? I said it. (laughs) My first, uh, 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 running with you a few years back. Yeah, well, it started because I was like, he has that. He said I was listening to some Weiwu stuff, and I was like, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I told him it was built on embodiment dance. Because embodiment dance has sort of changed my life. And he's like, every time <laughs> that I've met with you, every, just... it, it, every time that I run into Michael, I I know I'm about to hit some some level of crazy on some topic. <laughs> That I'm just going to have to go home and just sit down and stare at a wall and think about. And uh, this time it was embodiment dancing. So I'm, I'm excited about that. The first time, uh, well, uh, not the first time. The, the, we, we interacted a long time ago. And then we had another thing where we were uh, uh, overseas doing a uh-huh. festival with Striper. Yeah, with Striper. <laughs> I think it was in Norway. In Norway. And, uh, and I hadn't seen you in probably five, seven years. And the, the only thing I remembered about you at that point is you were definitely on the more progressive end of sort of like the Christian spectrum. In my estimation, we didn't you know, agree about things like the sovereignty of God, blah, blah, blah. But, or probably at that point, the existence of God. <laughs> well, at the first conversation, you were definitely in camp. I'm a Christian, but I'm going to be a little when wild we first met. when we first met. Yes. So now we're in Norway and I'm expecting to meet the same version of right. you. But there's every time I meet you, I meet a new version right. of you. Yeah. You know, you're uh uh you morph. And so uh <laughs> so in Norway, the Norway Michael was the the way I knew it was different, uh it was gonna be different as we were having lunch on some ferry being touted a, to some venue or something, and I had asked you foolishly. Uh, hey, are you, uh, I know you guys just moved to LA. Are you and Lisa part of a church out there? And Michael just starts it's laughing. Foolishly. It's not foolishly. <laughs> he just starts laughing. I'm like, why is, what's funny about that? He's like, uh, no, 
No, I'm not. I'm not part of a church out here. But I, I am going to a sensory deprivation water tank on the weekends. And floating there has been changing my life, bro. And I, it was that moment that I thought to myself, I think we're going to disagree on some stuff. I think maybe... I could be wrong. We might maybe, be on slightly different Maybe pages that's the here. name of your church. I don't know. And, uh, and, but it's like, you know, Reformed Baptist or something. <laughs> I don't, I'm not going to church, but I found a sensory deprivation float. <laughs> I don't, I don't even understand quite that. I, I love myself for having said that to you. That's you said really it. funny. You said it was funny. <laughs> it was funny. And we had good combos. Did you ever float? <laughs> I haven't floated. But you know, honestly, I would go to one of those. You told you? me about it. It's it's a essentially it's a bathtub in mm-hmm. the dark. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong about that. I'd sit in a bathtub in the dark. No, it's like it's like like the sea of Dead Sea or something. Yeah, like it's flo- I've done you, that. You float. If you close your eyes in the Dead Sea, you're yeah. in your place. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's nice. Done. I, I don't do it much anymore, but I, I did it for a while. I okay. was doing it all the time for a while. Yeah, it's really nice. So new iteration. <laughs> um, and so what happened this time? Yeah, we occasionally will text. Have a good debate, um, but he's he he texted me again recently because of a recent liturgist episode, and was telling me some things wrong that were said on it, some things he disagreed with or that thought was, um, well I won't put words in your mouth, but we'll we'll get to that. But here's where I've been in the space of, and why I was like, well, why don't you just come on the show and talk about it, because. This season in particular, we've pretty much only been hearing from people who agree with me <laughs> about this stuff. And it's because we've been doing more of a reconstructive season of trying to tell a certain um, narrative about here's a possible way of interpreting Christianity. And to do that, it's not to have like a it's not really a discussion so much as like we're presenting an idea in this season. Um, but we've. I feel like we've pretty much presented it at this point. Mm. So now I'm like, okay, well now it'd be cool to converse a little bit more about it. And that would be important to bring in some people who disagree. And aside from even just the scope of this season's um, topic, I just feel like in society in general, it's very difficult to find spaces where people are together and not chopping off the unique individuality of the individuals in the group. Like we all want to be together. We all have um, evolved or, or, or breathed dust 6,000 years ago. As he, as he, as he gestures to me. <laughs> Thanks, man. They can't see your hand, bro. They don't know what's happening. <laughs> Whatever your belief about the origin of humanity is. We ha- we have been created. How about that? Okay, we, we've been made. To, we we are made to um, be together. Like we want something in us wants to be together, yeah. and so often the way that we do that is by repressing or chopping off or um, ignoring or lying with ma- you know putting on masks to our, our, our uniqueness. And so everybody's got to believe a certain way. Everybody's got to speak a certain way. Everybody's got to behave and look and dress a certain way. And I just, one of the things we've always wanted at the liturgists, we de- we value diversity of all kinds, including of thought. 
and um, and to have conversations with people that we disagree strongly with, but still can like see the common humanity in each other and still respect and love one another uh, from a place that's not just this surfacey. Oh, we we happen to agree about things, so we can be together. Like, no, we can be together because we're alive and we're humans. We're family in that way. Like Mm -hmm. we are life together. This is, we share this planet. We share this breath and um, maybe that's enough to be together. And then we can talk about it from there. So I I just, I want more of that in the liturgist community. That's a big part of what we're about. And it's a big part of what we're going to be moving forward in the future. I want to hear more diversity of thought. I want to hear people who disagree and why I think it sharpens us and it's fun. I think it's more fun. Yeah, I think it is too. And man, I just, you know, I've, I told you before, but I actually have a ton of respect for you for that being your posture. You know, I do think there is, uh, uh, there is something scary, intimidating about opening up from the echo chamber that we live in uh-huh. and, and going, I'm going to allow myself to hear counter perspectives, counter opinions, weigh them, weigh the merits of them. Uh, as a Christian, I, I feel conviction that that's how it ought, ought to be. I th- I think it is right that uh that truth wins and we suss out what is true and so i I, when i hear you speak i just i feel really uh like-minded in that it's like yes can we have more spaces where folks can go nope i don't see it that way here are my reasons and I'm going to listen to you and we're not going to blow up at the end of it. It's mm-hmm. not going to be a bunch of talking heads on, you know, mm-hmm. Fox news or CNN. It's, it, it can be amicable at the end of it. Yeah. yeah. Love that. All right. So should we dive in? No, I'm good. <laughs> okay. Let's just stick with what we do agree on <laughs> That's right. so we can That's be right. friends. That's right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> okay. So what, um, you've listened to some of this podcast season. Yep. You've, you're reading Richard Rohr's Universal Christ. You disagree. So I would imagine you disagree fundamentally with pretty much everything about this season. <laughs> <laughs> the, those are words that I could largely affirm. <laughs> so what do you... Yeah. Give me... Give what, me a, what do I disagree about? Uh, yeah. Where do you want to start? What's... Um, well, what, let me ask you. What do you see this season as having done? So you said it's you're presenting an alternative way to come at this thing we call Christianity. What I feel like, well, what this season has done is it's, you know, reduced our audience size by about 60 (laughs) percent. Cool. That's when I get the call. (laughs) Hey, man, no one's listening anymore. Why don't you just come on? It doesn't matter. Uh. It also, but it's so funny. I knew when I felt this drop in my lap is what it felt like. Like this, I had to do this season. Hmm. I was having dreams. It felt mystical. It felt bizarrely hmm. like handed to me. Um, and it's, you don't have to believe that. Nobody has to believe that, but that's what it felt like to yeah, me. Yeah, sure. Um, and I knew doing it that we would lose people doing it. Um, it feels to me there's been an aspect of it that's incredibly beautiful from like an artistic place of like imagining um what could be it's like an exercise in imagination it's an exercise in 
peacemaking in a weird way. Um, so many of the people that have listened to this podcast are in places that were similar probably to the first couple times I met you, um, where we've, we grew up in Christianity and something about it just wasn't working, wasn't, uh, helping and actually became oppressive and destructive in some way in our lives. And what people have the options to do in that situation is, is often pretty limited. It's like, Mm. You either have to like shut off your entire community and go and build a new life. Yeah. Um, or you shut up and don't ask your questions and don't process because it's, you'll be a heretic if you yeah. voice these things. Um, or like, there's just not a lot of great options. And so the, the attempt of this season, the intention of, could we relook at, at some of these things that, that Christianity has spoken some of the words and the practices and the history and, and and look at it from a different lens that would be less destructive for us and actually helpful and actually kind of looking at Christianity rather than an identity marker, rather than as just a set of abstract beliefs, looking at it as sort of a tool set, as technology um, for life, for life here and now. And uh, I, there's something really beautiful about that to me. And I feel like artistically and for some small group of people, we've accomplished that Mm. mission (laughs) (laughs) for 40% of our listenership or less. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Well, I'm curious before I I comment when, so I'm sure you guys see data or stuff on that, but when you, when you're thinking about folks who have stopped engaging since this season, is it, is it because they are more conservative on the spectrum and they're out on the, what, what are you account? How are you accounting for that? Like what's turning them off? I think a number of things are turning a number of different people off. I think there are some people that it's too mystical too woo woo or something like that. It feels way, (laughs) way woo wee. (laughs) Um, there's some people, who just disagree with the premise and think that it's not historically accurate or accurate to what Yeshua was teaching to mm-hmm. say this was a, that he was actually teaching non-dual things or, um, or the universal divinity of all mm-hmm. any of that. Um, there's people who just aren't interested in Christian technology at all, even if they would be more mystical or interested in that more universalist sort of take on things. Uh, yeah. Why, why, why do go I back need to Christianity to, exactly. to, to import? Yeah. yeah sure. So it's kind of a pretty niche yeah. <laughs> laser. Right. This is really your, a podcast for you, Michael. It's, it's, it really it's, is. Right. You record it, you go in your bedroom, you press play, you feel, feel pretty good. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Yeah. I um I think that uh so I have listened to most of the episodes in this season and um of course I'm interested because you're saying all of my words mm-hmm. you're using my right, words right right you know so when you title an episode <laughs> salvation <laughs> trinity yeah yeah I expect to hear something that appro- <laughs> approximates to the trinity and uh 
Yeah, which is the, the what started our round three interaction, right. you know, about this. Um, uh, you, and I think you said that this season is for you, kind of for you guys, has been sort of like an exercise in imagination. You know, uh, you just said that now, mm-hmm. um, and uh, like kind of reimagining what the what the elements of Christianity, the technologies, you know, as you call them, could be. Mm-hmm. And I think, uh, so where I, so I have felt increasing, oh, mm-hmm. as I've listened this season, yeah. you know, um, and I, as I reflect on why that is, I would say, um, it's, I think it comes down to the fundamental assumption of what Christianity is. And by that, I mean, um, uh, Christianity is, uh, unique, uh, in that it's unique for not, uh, a lot of reasons, but one of the things that makes it unique, um, not utterly unique because there's other religions that are like what I'm about to say, but it, it's unique in that, um, it is historic that it is that Christianity is built on things that happened in space time. Uh, at least that's the claim of the Christian, mm-hmm. right? Uh, whereas um, Buddhism uh, or other philosophies out there are are more heavily emphasizing particular truths, mm-hmm. uh, t- truth statements. Um, they don't hinge on whether or not a particular event took place in space time. Yeah, and because of that, uh, I feel like it makes things more. Um, because it's grounded in history, it feels to me like it uh, it is less up for grabs uh, in terms of our interpretation of things um, uh, than systems that are more philosophical in nature. Christianity is not first a philosophy; it's it's first a, a historical event, ultimately the Christ event, uh, uh, the the pre incarnate Christ. Uh, being born from a virgin and living a sinless life and dying on a Roman cross and resurrecting from the dead and ascending all those, those things we're claiming take place in space time and, and, and therefore, um, have fixed meanings that, that, uh, when, when I've listened to the seasons, I think one of the things that's been hard for me, uh, this, this particular season is, um, it, and it's been your goal. So rightly so it'd be hard for me. We're getting rid of fixed meanings. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I, I just, I I disagree that you can do that with Christianity. (laughs) I think that what Christianity is, is something to, um, accept or reject the facts of, and if the facts are accepted, then implications follow from that. Some of them are philosophical. Some of them are spiritual, um, but they reverberate out of a center that took place on a particular plot of land on earth that if you had a video camera, you could have filmed. And if that's true, if for instance, and this is why Christians always come back to things like the resurrection, if the resurrection, literally the bodily resurrection of Jesus took place, um, then we, we're in a whole new conversation, I feel like, where now... Um, conversations about what do you think the Trinity should be or what do you uh, suspect it is um, are now in, in my estimation 
not helpful anymore because the guy who told us what it is verified the legitimacy of his claims by doing what he said he would do. The, the one thing that nobody's able to do, you know, rise from the dead. So if I'm trying to identify for me, what makes it tough? I think it's, we're talking about a historic thing as if it was a philosophical thing. Does that, does that at least make sense? Like where, where I find some difficulty? Yeah. I I think that the, the, I like that you're picking up that we're trying to fundamentally redefine what it is. Yeah. That's, I'm happy that you (laughs) hear that because, and it should be, uh, tremendous. It should be disagreeable. Yeah. To most Christians. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right. 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 If it's Uh, not, if it's, yeah. Um, I guess where I would disagree with your assessment that of a fixed meaning yeah. is even to say if a historical event happened, you said, then you said, therefore, the therefore is where we have the issue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, for me, uh, all we have is the therefore, like we have, we have testimony maybe of, people that were maybe there. I don't know. I wasn't there. Meaning I don't have memories of, I don't have memories or video of Jesus rising from the dead. I personally, whether it happened historically or not for me, it doesn't really matter much. Um, because all we have is the, therefore we have the, how that's that event, whatever it was echoed through history, how it was interpreted and told and interpreted and told and interpreted and told over and over and over for thousands of years. And so it's been thousands of years of that. And now we have this and we have the therefore, and it's, I think the historical aspects of it are used as, as evidence for the therefore by Christians personally. Mm -hmm. I don't think that there's anything objective about it. I think it's, um, you know, when I would argue, when I was into apologetics, I would, I would argue like, how would these, if this was a historical event and why would the disciples, um, you know, why would they die for something they knew was a lie? Why would they die for something that was a metaphor about Mm -hmm. Jesus rising from the dead? And Mm -hmm. it really happened. Therefore we know that the Bible is true. Therefore, like that therefore is a big therefore to me that doesn't actually connect anymore. Um, I think it's incredibly subjective and it is philosophical. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're not wrong to say, uh, things can be in actual events can be interpreted differently. I I agree with that. And, uh, I think you're right to go back to the disciples and then the telling of the story and the codifying that into the scriptures, uh, as really important pieces of the puzzle to make sense of the Christ event. Mm -hmm. Um, it's it's what makes me so interested in the Bible mm-hmm. uh, and me so concerned for uh, its um, verifiability, the consistency of what was written down over time. You know, things that I think some folks uh, who don't consider maybe the implications of, of it are like, man, why, why are Christians so geeked up about the Bible? And it's like, well, again, if what we're saying is based in history, then we need to make sure that the records we have aren't just wacko, you know, that didn't just like morph and morph and morph. And, um, I think that there's a lot of bad, um, I think there's a lot of bad teaching out there 
that misleads a lot of people when it comes to, I, I think a lot of folks who haven't done the, the study work, uh, when they go, well, how do we know it hasn't just, how do we even know that it took, well, there's like you said, there's mm-hmm. no video camera there. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they've, they've heard the Bart Ehrman's of the world or the, um, Da Vinci codes of the world go, well, you can't trust this book. It's been changed a billion times and we don't have any of the originals and therefore, you know, there's mm-hmm. you therefore. And, uh, I, I'm actually really concerned to help people see that the text that we have now is incredibly close to what we had then, what was written then. Because if it, if it isn't, th- this conversation is a little pointless for me because I, I have nothing to hang my hat on either. Uh, but if it is, then now, now we can have increased confidence, not proof, but I think increased confidence that the events that took place back then actually did. And if they actually did, then I want to take increasingly seriously what the guy who did those things said. Yeah. And uh, I actually think there's less subjectivity than maybe you feel like there is in it. You know, if somebody says, um, uh, I'm just going to make something up. Um, hey, there's a, there's a million dollars under your mattress. And to prove it, uh, kill me and I'm going to rise from the dead. And if I don't, don't worry about it. But if I do, you should probably go check under your mattress, bro. And that guy does rise from the dead there's a good chance you're going back to your bedroom that night and taking a peek under your mattress to see if there's some cash there, you know? Mm -hmm. And the subjectivity of like, what did he mean by mattress and million dollars? It's not that subjective. I mean, it's, there's some claims he made. So, so when Jesus makes claims like I, I am the son of man referencing Daniel seven, or I, I am the son of God, or I am before Abraham was, I am, or I'm the way the truth. Now, if he really did those things, I mean, gosh, that feels like I've got to now take what he said way more seriously than, than if, uh, you have to take it seriously in a way that doesn't allow me to go, well, let me just speculate on what Christ could have been like. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's off the table at that point Yeah, for me, but I, I'm curious why when I say that you, you likely don't feel the same way. And I'm, I'm curious, what about my rationale doesn't make sense to you? Hmm. It's interesting. I'm such a, I'm an interesting point with this and especially recording this. I'm, I'm feeling right now a little bit like I can hear through the lens of, um, I'm kind of projecting into different aspects of our audience. Like I'm imagining <laughs> the people, the atheists, or atheist leaning people listening to this. I'm imagining the more Christian people, the more mystical. And I can, I can come at this from so many different angles and I'm kind of in a like, where do I, and then, and then there's maybe the strongest aspect and feeling that I'm having of it, which is just being with you and wanting, um, to honor you and not, I'm I'm just right now. I'm just kind of acknowledging the complexity that's going on in my head. Um, which gets at the heart of why it's hard to sometimes disagree with people. <laughs> Cause it's like, I don't actually, I would have a few years ago, I would have had a 
bunch of stuff lined up as soon as you were done. Like, okay, point by point, here's where I think yeah. you're wrong. I don't really care about you feeling like you, I don't want to prove to you that you're wrong. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't have an interest yeah. in that. Um, but what, and I, and I'm all, so I'll try to speak. I'll speak for what's helpful for me at this point. Okay. And, and what's resonating about what, when you say all those things about what Jesus said, I, at this point go, yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. I'm just interpreting them differently. Yeah. When he says, I am, yes, I think he saw I am. And he was referring to old script, like he was using the scriptures in his tradition where he came from to speak what was true, which is I am. I see at this point in my experience, that's what you see when you see clearly when, when the human being surrenders to it, to our source completely, all there is, is I am, there is just the ground. There is just the isness, the, the Godhead, the dance, the music, the I am, that's all that there is in the mystical experience. So when Jesus, the man, Yeshua, the historical person is speaking those words, I'm hearing spirit, the same spirit that I hear speaking in this moment, I am. And that doesn't translate to me anymore what it used to. It used to translate the man, the person, the body, Jesus, was claiming to be unique and different than other bodies by saying that, yeah. as opposed to the spirit within that body seeing itself. Yeah. Um, and so I don't disagree, really disagree with hardly anything you said. Like, the fa- if, if Jesus did the miracles and rose from the dead, whatever, that wouldn't be that surprising to me because it's the same spirit that's making all of this magic at yeah. all times. Like, okay, I don't know what's possible, what's not possible. Yeah. Um, but to me, that doesn't equal, okay, so that body was, uh, now there's all these ideas about what that body was and then what this body is and how it's different. That wasn't clearly um, defined in my reading. Yeah. What, what I want to say back to that is, is something like, um, man, I, I think you, you have a really hard time and I'm, and this, and hear me say this, I'm not claiming that you haven't done your homework on this, but, uh, I, I would, I'd almost love for us to sit down with the scriptures and you demonstrate that that was the understanding of Jesus Mm. and his disciples, because, uh, I think you're going to have a really hard time demonstrating that what Jesus meant was I'm Christ and you're Christ. If you can figure this thing out, mm. um, w- talking about Jesus in the book of acts and acts four twelve, I think they say there's no other name, Jesus under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There is, there is no record in the, in the 27 books of your new Testament that where a disciple or an apostle or just some follower of Jesus, uh, refers to themselves 
as the thing that you're saying Jesus said we all ought to refer to ourselves as. And yet Jesus is constantly uh, affirming his disciples when they get it. Like when, when Thomas calls him my Lord and my God after he sees him after the resurrection, he doesn't rebuke him. He's not like, Hey, you're a Lord and God too. You know? So I, I recognize that your season has been, um, you know, the way I've told it to my friends has been, you know, and I think you guys have said this, it's trying to reimagine Christianity from a non-dualistic perspective. And uh, I haven't swam in the the non-dualistic world very long. So I don't, my vernacular is not great. I, I, I don't even, you know, have a great sense of like the historical spaces where you guys are coming out of to get where you're getting. Uh, but I would say, I think, when I'm, when I'm applying an honest hermeneutic to the scriptures and I'm, and I'm coming saying, what is the, what is the text really saying and how does, uh, and how does it compare to other moments in the text? I think it's, it's really difficult to make the claim you're making is all that I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. Um, and I think it's probably harder to make the case for, for, a. Uh, the reading that I'm doing, if you take the entire scriptures as being the infallible, inerrant word of God yeah, and take a narrative of all of that. Um, to me, and I want to say this as gently and respectfully as possible, because I really, I don't want to disrespect your or anybody's um, reverence for the Bible. Yeah. I think there's so much beautiful, spirit in the Bible that speaks livingly, actively, livingly is not a word, but I liked it. I liked it too. <laughs> it's way, way, way. <laughs> it's way Um, that does feel alive. There, there's some of those things in it that I'm constantly rediscovering now. That are like, wow, that's alive. It's beautiful and true. Um, but the leap of, saying because we find things in the scriptures that are alive or because it references things that may have, if it, let's just assume that it was historical, yeah. um, that therefore the scriptures are inerrant or are the in, infallible word of God would be like a, a similar jump to saying, because I find news clips on the internet that are true and historical, everything on the internet is true and yeah. historical <laughs> right. and infallible. Is not? <laughs> Dang. I, uh, it just, I, don't, I don't i don't know how to make that leap anymore yeah it? yeah um and don't need to make that leap anymore. yeah so what do you um what criteria are you bringing to make that decision that's one of the questions i've had as i've been listening to you guys yeah. you know because i feel like our i feel like one of the biggest differences between us um when i'm trying to get down to like its core I think it's the, um, it's the issue of authority. Yeah. What's our authority source? Right. At the end of the day that, that I think you're right. Yeah. And so, so when you're answering that question, like, cause you, cause you made a, you made a, a, a claim. The claim is, uh, the Bible is not in your opinion, uh, the, uh, God, it's, not, it's not, it's not God's word in that inerrant sort of inspired God breathed sense. It's not one contiguous book telling one grand story. I, I prefer authority. Actually, I would say it's not the authority. Okay. Yeah. 
because I, because I wouldn't, I would say it is God breathed. And I would say the things that you said, I, that doesn't bother me. Actually. Yeah. Um, infallible. I would have a problem with, um, and authoritative. I would have a problem. So, with. uh, how, um, when you're, how, when you're looking at the Bible and you're saying, I can stand behind that. I can't stand behind that. I can stand behind that. Yeah. What is my authority that I'm, I'm Yeah. That's my question. Right. Yeah. Um, well, personally, I, th- I think it's the same authority that everybody is actually doing. We just, I think we, what we tend to do is project our sense of authority. Yeah. Uh, because even when I thought that the Bible was my authority, the aspect of that, that I didn't see at the time was I was being the authority by deciding that the Bible was the authority. Yeah. I don't think anybody can actually pass that ultimate responsibility book, which, um, of like what, what will you believe? What will you, what will you make authoritative? I think everybody's just got their experience. Everybody's got their, um, circumstances, their personality, their convictions, uh, their memories, their traumas, their hopes, all of it creates this strange concoction that we call me. And then what seems to be true to me is what seems to be true to me. So yeah. I, I think that used to be, I used to be able to say, well, no, it's not because I feel like it's true. It's because the Bible says, but why do I think the Bible's true? Yeah. I, that you eventually have to own that and be like, I just feel it is. I, mm-hmm. I think it is. Yeah. And I can project that again. Well, based on, I have these nine points mm-hmm. of why I mm-hmm. think it's true, but it's still, I find those truths to be more compelling yeah. than other arguments. Yeah. Why? Yeah. They just are more compelling to me. Um, I think that's literally everyone. I don't think anybody can actually give away that, that final, okay, this is what's the authority. That being said, what interested me about doing, about relooking at the Christian narrative and, and the Christian technologies and, and Jesus's words, particularly, um, is I, because I went through my journeys elsewhere, it's almost like, it's almost like I, I was hearing stories growing up and I don't know if this metaphor is going to work. Um, I was hearing stories of like the yellow brick road and these red sparkly shoes and, and this, or this teacher was teaching about all these things. And I had all these, you know, this great wizard and all, and, and a lion and, and all these things. And there was, I had this vastly different interpretation of what those things meant. And I had this whole world of what I thought those things meant. And then I went away from that teacher eventually because I didn't care as much anymore. And then I saw the Wizard of Oz. And I was like, holy shit, that teacher was talking about the Wizard of Oz. Mm. And then I came back and was like, I, I was the person who he was talking to who said, you can't hear what I'm saying. I thought I was the one hearing what he was saying. And then when I left and then heard from other sources and watched the movie, I was like, Oh my God, I was the one who did. I had no clue of what he was saying. Mm. He was talking about the wizard of Oz. Mm. I saw it. Now I just know Yeah, that's what I hear in Jesus's words. Now it's, it's as sure as that. It's like, yeah. no, I, he saw what I've seen. Yeah. Um, I can hear, I saw the movie now. Yeah. I know exactly what he means. Yeah. Before it was just kind of like ambiguous. Maybe, this means this. And therefore, and I was like, why are you telling these parables? Like, why are you telling people different things 
at different times about salvation, I could never like lock in really clear. I, I had yeah. things that I felt locked in, but there was always an aspect. I was like, well, this is then I saw the wizard of Oz. I was like, Oh, I, yeah. I, I got gotcha. you. Yeah. And so it's not surprising when I see other teachers around it or even in the scriptures where like they still are pitching some other thing about what he meant or what it doesn't really matter. Like I'm like, mm-hmm. I just know. Yeah. I saw the wizard of Oz. It's yeah. that level of experience. Yeah. Yeah. That, that is, that is my authority, I guess. Yeah. Uh, what you're saying is you, you have, uh, found the thing that for you feels like it has the most explanatory power of his words, of his words and yeah. the data. And, and, uh, yeah. Okay. Is that fairly re- representing what I heard? Yeah. The, the, the experience that I had was so clearly, um, I could understand why you would say those words yeah. if you had had that experience. Uh, so, um, so then what do you do when he starts talking about things like hell? Yeah. Great. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you. I, yeah. I, I want th- that's, I'm, I'm that's yeah. a sincere. Like, and I don't know. I, I actually want to know if there's large swaths of his teachings that, that don't, resonate with yeah. me because if I am just like imagining it and all of us that have been doing this season are just meant, I, I th- we should know. Uh, okay. <laughs> I think that's a good goal. I think it's uh, good. Yeah. I, I feel like, um, you know, I had a, a friend come to me, uh, a few months ago and he's a Christian. He's, he was wrestling with, uh, the scriptures and he said something, it's actually something I, uh, me and, and you and Lisa have talked about before. He's like, man, I, I'm trying to understand why, like when I read the Old Testament, the Old Testament, God seems so much meaner, you know, mm-hmm. than what I see in the New Testament. And um, I, I think I said this uh, to him in that moment, uh, something like, man, have you read the New Testament? Like, <laughs> like... Can be brutal. Like Jesus is is up to his knees in the blood of sinful people that he's bringing justice on in the book of revelation with, with King of Kings and Lord of Lords tattooed down his thigh. Right. Jesus, (laughs) Jesus talked more about hell than he did about love in the scriptures. Uh, and and I'm not, I mean, hear, hear me say like, I'm, I'm not saying Jesus is some monster. I'm just saying, let's really deal with what this, the texts are saying. And some of the things that when I, when I hear, um, uh, uh, folks like you on, on the litter just talking about these things. I, I, I want so bad to like go, dude, can we just like have a couple hours with a Bible? With the Bible. It's great. And just go talk to me about that. Bro. Let's do it. <laughs> we can make this podcast long. That's if we, right. That's right. <laughs> we can grab Bibles. Yeah. And my point uh, is just, it, it sometimes can, it, it reads to me sometimes convenient that it's like, yeah, man, the, the, yes. When you quote that verse, it sure does sound like that. But when you look at the totality, I feel like there's something else being said that doesn't fit in that schema. So yeah. that, I think that's Thank one of the you. things I struggle with. Um, what I, what doesn't rub me wrong about hell at this yeah. point is for the same reason that Buddha talked more about suffering than love. Like hell is a very real thing i think uh it's a very real i should say not thing experience um and the the jesus using 
the language of like the dump outside of Jerusalem and weeping mm. and gnashing of teeth and fire. And it, to me, that is like beautiful description of what suffering can be like. A, and I've tasted of hell for so much of my life. Um, and I, I've known enough diversity of, uh, experience and had enough privilege in my life to know that I can be in what everyone would call heaven from an external, like I can be being wined and dined and by some big promoter somewhere or be at an award show where everyone's giving me accolades and be in hell. Mm. If I am not at home with what's happening, if I am fundamentally at odds with my source with my body, with my own, within my own mind, within my own sense of self, that that any circumstances can become hell. And likewise, any circumstances that people would think, wow, that should be horrible. That's that's hell. That's a just from a circumstantial place. I've been in present in places and in situations that are not circumstantially good, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but experienced heaven. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and so to me, like all that's really real ever, including if, even if there was a place that had literal flames and a place that had literal golden streets, mm-hmm. I, what I love, like C.S. Lewis, mm-hmm. when he talks, when, when the, in the great divorce, when the people from hell come up to heaven and they're in this glorious environment, but they're still in hell because the, the grass feels too real to them. That's the grass cutting their feet. Yeah. yeah, they hate it. Yeah. I think that's incredibly profound and powerful because all we ever have is the experience we're having. So if you're in the middle of flames, literally after you die, you go to flames, but you're at home with that and you accept it, you'd be fine. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're in the middle of golden streets and you're not surrendered to what is, you're not surrendered to God and you're not and you don't want to be there, you'd rather be somewhere else, you'll be miserable. So I don't think heaven and hell are places. I think, I think that would be, I don't, to me, that would be a very simplistic, literalistic reading of a profound truth mm. that would be kind of butchering it actually. Yeah. Like hell is a very real, very scary, very horrible experience that Jesus came to save us from. So there are a lot of things in that that I actually agree with. Mm. So, I mean, we're not wild. I mean, we are probably ultimately wildly different in, <laughs> in you know, what we mean. Uh, but um, I, I do agree that there are foretastes of each that, now you wouldn't call it a foretaste, but I would say there are foretastes of each uh, in this life mm-hmm. that, that we experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, um, and I'm even open-handed with, uh, is, is hell literally, uh, 1200 degrees centigrade? Or not, I'm, I'm open-handed with, because Jesus uses metaphors all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually think it, it makes it worse in some ways if it's a metaphor, because metaphors are what you do when you're trying to communicate an actual thing, but don't have the words for it. Mm-hmm. And so if the best he could say is flames, uh, then what, and it's a metaphor, then how much worse is it than flames? Right. Um, so I, I'm open-handed with like, 
if it's that or not in, in streets of gold, that, that sort of thing. I, I don't think there's a 1500 by 1500 by 1500 mile city in the new Jerusalem coming. I, I think that's a metaphor for the church and God dwelling together. Um, uh, but I do think there are places in the sense that, uh, like existentially when we die, see where, where we're going to disagree is I don't even know what your view on like the afterlife is, or if you would even like that term, but, um, uh, I just feel like when I'm putting the data together, looking at the, the scriptures, uh, there are, there are areas where I can go, yeah, that's probably metaphorical language for something worse or something better, that type of thing. But the data taken as a whole, Jesus speaking of it in future tense, talking about it as the consequence for, uh, disbelief in the gospel, um, Paul and Peter and John affirming all the same things. I go, the data seems to make, to conclude, make me want to conclude that option a, the historic Christian understanding of heaven and hell, whether it's flames or not, uh, is more, co- more correspondent to, uh, what I see it, uh, in scripture than option B, which is, uh, hell is a mindset only, and you can come in and out of it. So I, I think that's, and again, we're back to the Bible and it's either authority or it's, it's accuracy, those types of things. Cause I feel like if I'm you, I would want to say, you know, well, why are you being so anal about like that sentence about hell and that sentence about hell matching so much, you know? And uh, maybe you wouldn't say that, but I, to me, I'm just going, what makes sense of the data I see in the book? Yeah. And uh, that's what you're saying you're, you're doing too. And I'm just saying, gosh, I, I'm having a hard time seeing how your answer makes more sense of the data yeah. than I. Well, I do also, I should, I want to be clear that my interest in Jesus's words are far higher than any other part of the Bible. Okay. So I should be honest about no, that's, that. That's that good. Like, uh, I'm not trying to necessarily fit. Jesus's words with the book of Revelation yeah. in ways that you might be. Yeah. Um, I, I am interested in that conversation. I think it's interesting. I would be curious to see, is it, does it harmonize yeah. or, or is my view completely contradictory with Paul and early Christians? Did you what? have a moment where you jettisoned like voices other than Jesus in the, I guess what, what made it for you to where Jesus, uh, but not the other canonical books um count i maybe it's going back to the wizard of oz like i remember jesus talking about yellow brick roads and wizards <laughs> <laughs> and i didn't necessarily yeah. remember yeah paul talking about yeah. that <laughs> yeah uh, which then would just translate to me paul was interpreting jesus incorrectly <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> which i don't i don't know enough i i'm not I would like to explore Paul more and revelations in the old Testament. Like I feel like in the future of my life, yeah, I'm sure there's a lot more exploring to do with how do those things all tie together and do they, how do they harmonize and do they? Um, and I, again, I'm not even close minded. If I might be totally interpreting Jesus wrong, yeah. maybe I'm just projecting. Uh, he said yellow stone road. And I'm like, see, he, them. <laughs> he said we could be stoned. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's my that's the rationale for yeah. cannabis use um <laughs> so but i think there's something about um 
the interpretation, like to me, the way he would talk about hell and the way he was always so metaphorical was odd if he was talking literally. If he was saying there is a place that you go when you die, I feel like any of us could say that so much more clearly than he said it. Mm. Like, why is he talking about sheep and goats and bosoms and, you know, like all these weird, what? <laughs> why are you speaking so... Of all of all the things you could have picked that he, that he said, those three came they were right at the top of your mind that was they were right there Abraham's bosom yeah there was just there all right we're back i mean when we're talking about hell he when yeah. we're talking about yeah, that's hell right. he would Lazarus use... and the rich man yeah, yeah that's right um i would be more plain about it if it were me if i, if I was like really trying yeah. to get people to not burn in a pit yeah for sure i'd be like now listen i know i speak in metaphors a lot i got to be real plain with you yeah. when you die you will be burned alive. It's good. You will have eternal suffering. I'm not speaking in metaphors here, literally. And this is what you need to do. Pray this prayer. Believe this about me. And when I say this, when I say I am, I'm not including you. Yeah. I'm not including Krishna. I'm not including Buddha. Yeah, yeah. I'm not, this is me. I, I could be very clearly said. Yeah. Uh, I don't think that's what he was saying. Yeah. So I, I think the problem is, he did get incredibly clear about all sorts of things in his ministry and was still wildly misunderstood and misrepresented. So to that says something to me about um, metaphor or, or literal, clear or opaque. Uh, there, is, there is a type of hearing that doesn't hear. And there's a type uh-huh. of seeing that doesn't see. Uh-huh. And Jesus even said as much, you know, when he was talking about why he speaks to people in parables. Um, but then he revealed so much more clearly to the disciples what he parabolized, you know? So like the this, this seed and the sowers, like he gave the whole spiel and the disciples were like, that was wacky. What What are you talking about? And what did he do? He said the exact thing. He did what you just asked. He was like, let me tell you exactly what it means. Hmm. Seed, word of God. Satan, take seed. It, you know, he does the whole thing. And, uh, and, you know, and you get, uh, you get clarity when you come to, uh, other parts of the New Testament too. You know, it's not just, uh, you know, Jesus didn't write, obviously he didn't write the gospels, John and Mark and Luke, you know, they, they, they wrote the gospels and these guys, uh, you know, John, for instance, he wrote all sorts of other books. So like, uh, so then that makes me go, well, you know, if we're trusting him and his words with Jesus and, you know, John 15, you guys quoted in the salvation thing, uh, the podcast uh, last time, uh, why wouldn't we also go to John and look at first John and second and third and revelation? Cause he wrote that and, uh, and consider what he says there too. None of it in my estimation is contradictory. Um, but I would just want to, you know, I would want to expand out like, uh, I I just think there's more clarity there than you're thinking there is. There's, I think there's. I I wouldn't. I want to know. Yeah. <laughs> Teach me. I want to. <laughs> well, we're we're having a Bible study after this, guys. If you want to, we should. Yeah, we can. We things. can stop and get a Bible if you'd like, <laughs> bro. I I might own one. Still. I'm packing heat right here. You brought a Bible? Oh, Take it I out. I got it, man. Let's make. The, I mean, we don't. We're, have, about to we're do in this. no rush. We're about we to do this. Let's thing, do man. it. You said you want to do it. Why, why hey, not? 
and it's lambskin. None of my, none of the other symposium members are going to bring out a Bible. <laughs> <laughs> Look at this. Look at this beast. Yeah. Do you have things underlined? Let's see. Oh, bro. Dude. Yes. I mean. Can I feel it? Yeah. Are you afraid that I'm going to put demons in it or oh something? Oh, my gosh. Don't ever say that again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude. Oh, look at that. I, just, I like, I legitimately get joy from feeling people's loved Bibles. That is like, a well of Here's how much I love it's it. It's when the pages, I can feel like this page has been read <laughs> a lot of times. There's different colors and pens. There's a shape. There's a triangle. He, he circled the word Holy Spirit. What a wonderful... <laughs> I love it. I, uh... I, this is, I would rather all of my guitars burn up than this because this got all my notes. Got my, yeah. I, I care about it so much that I hide one of these Apple dots, like trackers in the oh, binding. See? So that if I lose it. I love it. Yeah. So. That's great. Special. No, <sighs> and it's, it's, sol- it's a solid, like it's holy solid. Bible. It's a holy Bible. I'm saying, man. On the binder. And gold is a black leather. <laughs> it's got a smell. It's got a Bible smell. It's got a Bible smell. Yeah. So yeah, I guess yeah. Um, that is what I, I I think repeatedly is like, man. The when I look at the total of things, I just uh, I want to follow the evidence. I told you at lunch, I love detective novels, you know, and, mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. And uh, I want to follow the evidence where it leads. And uh, so if if there are you know, 2000 passages on, uh, you know, related to the topic of the Holy spirit in the new Testament, I was making something up. I want to look at those and go, if these are true, how, how, what does, what do these things give me an image of, of who this person is, who the Holy spirit is when it says, when, when it talks about Jesus so much, uh, throughout the, Old and New Testament, I, I want to collect that data and go, okay, what is the only conclusion I could draw that would make sense of the data? And that's what, you know, I, I became a Christian, not from a, uh, I didn't grow up in a, like a fundamentalist Christian household or anything like that. Um, um, I came to Christ out of a crisis of just sin struggles and things like that. And a friend talking to me, but when I, uh, that was like when I was 15. But since then, when I've come to scripture, my, my aim has been, I want to make sense of the whole and what I keep coming back to in my attempts to make sense of it. And I'm, you know, I'm in seminary right now. So like, I'm still fighting that fight of like wanting to dig deep in this thing. Mm -hmm. I keep coming back to the old, old story, the, the historic Christian conviction about the core beliefs that haven't changed for 2000 years. And, and I, I think, and I, I understand what you're saying. And I even, you know, when I read things like Richard Rohr, I'm watching him quote scripture. It's not that you guys aren't engaging with scripture. So I, it's not that. Um, but my question tends to be at the end of a reading or a listen. Um, but has it made sense of the whole or is that convenient for that passage? And uh, my submission would be as a Christian, I don't think it makes sense of the whole. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but that's why we have... I love it. And I would, I would be interested to see you have the Bible. What pieces of data as you're calling them, do you think wouldn't fit 
yeah. this interpretation yeah. of what it is. Like, and, and saying what it is, one of my favorite illustrations I ever heard about this was from Brian McLaren, who talked about uh, a puzzle. And he's like, he read the Bible um, when he was younger as a, with a certain understanding of what it was, like the box top mm. of what the puzzle is. Mm-hmm. Like if you think this is a, a bridge over a pond, and then the box, you find out all these, some of these pieces aren't fitting right. Like why is it? And then you f- have a different box top altogether. And you're like, oh, this is this is altogether different than what I thought it was. Mm. Um, and in some ways, I think what I'm getting at is actually maybe even more radical than that. <laughs> it's, more, it's, it's not just <laughs> no, a different box you. top. It's not a different box top. It's actually like, no, those aren't puzzle pieces. Those are guitar picks. That's right. Yeah, it's that's like, right. Yeah. And we're in outer space. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's right. Uh, yeah. But that that's, I still think that imagery is, is helpful to be like, you're saying, what I hear you saying is the box top that has been primarily passed down through mainstream Christianity. Mm-hmm. You're not saying that I'm throwing those words in because yeah, I, yeah. I disagree yeah. well, that it's, it's been, been uniform. It's been mainstream until the past 50 years, probably. Yeah. I think there's always been cults and heretics and mystics on the fringes True. that would have disagreed with the main Christian. But you're right. You're, you're right. They would. Yeah. And and they would have been called heretics. Yeah, that is right. true. Yeah. And they probably would have been burned, some of them. Yeah. Yeah. Like Jesus, but I, like, he was. I know a guy. Who I know a guy who was also a heretic. For, yeah, 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 man, um, dude. I I love this conversation, and, and uh, I think, um, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to th- I'm trying to think through some of your comments, and uh, uh, and I'm and I've been trying for a while to like sort of make sense of how how sort of like the non-dual thing could, could be seen even in scripture. Um, and you know, if I'm sitting in your chair, I'm going, yeah, bro, that's just cause you're a Western, you know, dude, you, you never know the, you're a fish breathing water, you know, cause you're in the water. So I, I don't think anybody can be objective. I, I want to submit that. I, I agree with that, but I do think things can be actually knowable and knowable in a way that, uh, uh, it would be, you could say untrue things about them and it would be legitimately untrue. Yeah. Um, uh, but when I read the scripture, like, uh, take, um, so one of the things that like, uh, I hear you say a lot or roar says a lot, it's that whole universality of, of Christ. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, I'll never forget. It was our sec- me and your uh, second encounter over in Norway. This was after the sleep or the deprivation chamber thing. Uh, um, and we were standing on some balcony, uh, overlooking, you know, it's beautiful Norway. And, uh, you said, um, man, just looking at all this, it's just so amazing to me that all this is Christ. I said that then. Yeah. Wow. And I said, do you mean Christ's? (laughs) And you said, nope. No, no, Christ. I was like, oh, oh, we're really going to disagree with some stuff. <laughs> okay. All right. I didn't know we were on like, like two different planets. Okay. I said that to you. You did. I would, you not, have nice guessed. I would not have guessed that I would have said that uh, to you. But, um, <laughs> but 
Uh, so I have a hard time with that uh, for a thousand reasons. All of them are sitting on my lap, but, um, but you know, the creature create uh, creator distinction is from the opening pages of the Bible to the end. Um, it, I think any honest reading of Genesis one and two has to acknowledge there is a creator and a created. And, and I've heard fancy language to try to dismiss that, but I, I almost want to say to someone who would, who would try to downplay or even evaporate that and say, no, it's not that it means something else. It's like, man, if you wrote something and, and you wanted to communicate X, uh, and someone came along and said, no, 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 that's, that can't be X. It's, that's why it's like, you better have earth's best reasons for why it's why. And, and even if you conclude it's why, if the author meant X, it doesn't matter if you think it's Y cause it's X. And, um, I'm not saying that I'm the author. I'm not, but I, I do think there, uh, like I said, I think things can be actually knowable. I think that not everything is so up to subjective interpretation that it's like, well, it says that he created them male and female, but what he must've meant is we have always existed and there's no boundaries to personhood and God and man are the same. It's like, that's not what the text said. I just want to look at some folks, uh, some like sort of folks from a more postmodern epistemology and go, can we just be honest for like two seconds? Uh-huh. That's just not what the freaking text says. Yeah. Uh, now you can tell me that it means something else for philosophical reasons, but don't use, don't use exegesis like interpretive methods to get there. Cause it's really hard to get there. So I feel that a lot when I, when I hear these conversations that, uh, I'm like, I just, dude, if I read your book, this, and I was like, Hey, that's actually a a book called that. And it's about (laughs) something entirely. You'd be like, no, it's actually about this. Uh And, uh, I think I would, it would be an insult to you if I called it that. Yeah. I hear what you're saying. Um, and, and maybe that's what I'm doing. There is an interesting, aspect though of i still i look at genesis one and two and it really really fits for me okay so walk me because um in the same way that it's almost like i don't do you like harry potter or you don't have to say that okay you do i'm all in great um it'd be almost like if you read a paragraph of something voldemort said and then used that to be like, that's the thesis of the Harry Potter number. Or like, this is the point is to like, get rid of the mudbloods or whatever. You'd be like, no, that that's the, that's the villain. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's right. Yeah. You, it's not just object, but you I'm telling you, this is what the text says, but the text is being read. Who's the character reading the text? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so to me, Genesis one and two creation and the fall is, so beautifully and precisely shining the light on the human condition of suffering that begins when we turn the world into two, when we separate the light from the dark and the water from the deep and the male from the female and the, and we eat from the knowledge of the tree of the good and evil. And then we experience the shame and we hide from that creator as a separate naked, someone like the whole image of why we suffer 
and how we feel alienated from our true self, our true source, our true mm. creator. To me, Genesis 1 and 2 is so brilliant in that if you imagine it that it's being told from from one of the characters in the story, the the Yahweh character, and is trying like it's 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 assuming uh the text being spoken from somewhere that I'm not assuming it's being spoken from. I'm actually assuming that it's being spoken from the ground that includes all of that um, suffering and splitting and seeing that that's just words, that it's the words going, let there be light, let there be dark, let there be sun and let there be moon and let there be. And as we split, as we, that's the human mind, that this is being written from a human being in the human condition, but seeing somehow, seeing like inspired by spirit, seeing the essence of the human condition. So to me, it's incredibly true in spirit breathes. It's mm. just not, I'm looking at it from a different character maybe. Okay. So, so the, the one problem I hear in that interpretation is that that interpretation makes Yahweh to be the villain. Kind of does. <laughs> kind of does. <laughs> so, and that feels, I don't know, just a little problematic. <laughs> But but look, if you just for a second, if you just give that a like, imagine first of all, it's just Yahweh. Okay. So in my perspective, there's no actual other Yahweh who's the villain. But if when I project God to be out there away from me, and I project really, I'm creating, I'm concretizing myself away from God. I'm really hardening my own shell away and going that out there is not me. This part is me. And I'm other than God. I think that's really about me. Um, then what's happening is we project this God, we create this God, this higher principle, this higher creator, that then you look at the fruit of that God through the Old Testament. And what does that God do? Yeah, that God commits genocide. That God uh, is responsible for slavery and all the suffering in the world. He's the one who says, cursed be you and cursed be it's It's a it's a cursing reality um, that floods the world and regrets making humanity. It's a, it's a very dark force. It's <laughs> mm. so interesting that you see it that way because um, I hear everything you just said and I, and I go to Genesis three with that. Um, you, you see the cursing of God as something vindictive that Yahweh might um, do just from his own impetus to do something. Uh, uh, And where I go is the curse is because of a violation of his law. It's because of Genesis three and the deception of Eve and Adam. So when I, when I'm placing blame, when, when I look at the brokenness of the world, uh, I, I, I go, yes, this is exact. This totally squares with my worldview because, because God said, uh, after the fall of man, after man decided he himself wanted to become God. And so God's opinion is not the loudest. My opinion is the loudest. God pronounced a curse over all things. He said, our earth is going to crack because of this. And I see a cracked earth. I, we see it all the time. We see it in 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 uh, 
natural disasters. We see it in human sinfulness. We see it in all the terrible things that happen. And then yet right in the middle of that is embedded the promise. So the, the one who, who has to, by his very holy nature, bring justice for sin is at the same time going, and yet I'm going to fix this thing. And in the first three chapters of your Bible, you get the proto-gospel. You get the seed of a woman is going to come and crush the head of the serpent and he'll bruise his heel. So from the very beginning, I don't see a God who's going like, man, I'm just gearing up for some vindictive, monstrous stuff, man. Get ready. This Old Testament is going to blow your mind. I see a God who is coming to the first sin and going, but you have violated uh, the law and consequence is coming. And yet, though I could leave you for dead, I'm going to come towards you. And the, what the whole the Old Testament is doing is a movement, scene by scene, book by book, toward the redemptive moment uh, where Christ comes. So, so when you talk about what you see in the Old Testament, it sounds like you're laying that the blame of the disasters at the feet of God. And I'm going, uh, no, that is, that is what sin does to a, in a broken world. It breaks things. Things are broken. Now, our relationships are broken and all that, and God has come to write that. Um, do you see what... Yeah, that's saying, how I used to see it, for sure. Yeah. But what about the words of this book changed your mind? Or was it something outside of this? That might be a good thing to explore. Yeah. Um, well, again, it's an interesting thing because we're, we're talking about the box top. Yeah. We're not talking about the puzzle pieces themselves, like the picks, the picks. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, we're, we, no, I'm sorry. We are talking about the pieces, but now when we're saying, what is it that changed the box top? Uh, I mean, I could answer that in a number of different ways. Yeah. I, I would, I would answer it. The spirit did, <laughs> but you would probably disagree. <laughs> so, it, it it got changed. Is that enough? Like, yeah. and what's interesting is I don't. Um, I just want to. I, I articulated this. I think, but I I'm not trying to change anyone's yeah box top necessarily. Like, I'm not trying to tell you or anybody else this is how you should read this. I'm not actually doing that. Um, I think it's more beautiful personally. I think it's probably true. I'm I'm interested in this conversation because maybe I'm wrong. And if that's what I'm curious of you saying, what data doesn't fit? Because I, I know that my reading of this and what we've been doing on this season is not mainstream. It's been more in the heretic circles <laughs> through history than the mainstream Christian circles. So I am curious about what data, what, what are the verses, what are the narratives that don't fit this? Because we're going to disagree on... I. I, like as we read Genesis, I'm reading a different book than you're reading. Yeah. Apparently now yeah. the puzzle pieces are from almost, almost opposite, almost yeah. upside down. Like. Yeah. Um, but so far that they support one Genesis to me is one of the strongest supports for me. Isn't that funny though? Isn't that's it? where I'd want to go. <laughs> yeah. Hey, can we talk about Genesis? <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, so it, I, I think it comes down to like, um, what is an appropriate interpretive method? I know yeah. now we're in total nerdville now, <laughs> but so when you, yeah. so can we go there? Yeah. So uh, when you come to Genesis one, 
you said, I am, uh, I'm reading Genesis one in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And, uh, uh, verse three, then God said, let there be light. There was light. He saw that it was good. He, and he separated the light from the darkness. When you, uh, quoted that, uh, you said something like, I see that as being written, as being done from another perspective or being written from another vantage point. Okay. So because you said the separation is yeah. the problem and, yeah, and where is the, how about this? Where, what is the scene for this <laughs> setting? <laughs> the scene I used to think was an objective out there that the light was separated from the dark out there. But what does that even mean scientifically? What we see now with our modern physics and stuff is like nothing even light and doesn't even exist as a thing unless it's observed in an interesting way, right? Like it, you have to observe from a place for a thing to even like for the probability wave to collapse. It's a weird light is not just light separated from dark. That doesn't really mean anything, but it does mean something in the mind light gets separated from dark and distinguished from dark in the human mind. Mm. And so that's an experience. That's the experience of being human is like, we're born into this blinding what, and then we have no concepts. And all of a sudden at some point light gets distinguished from dark. Good gets distinguished from bad. Mother gets distinguished from father. All this is the, I think the scene of Genesis one is in us is in our minds. Okay. Do you think that that though is what the original author or audience had in mind? I don't know what the audience, I do think the author probably cause it's too brilliant to, to, okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, um, w- jumping out of the Bible for a second. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm just not, I feel like I've texted you something like this before. Uh, I'm not convinced that you believe what you just said. (laughs) Uh, I don't think you want to live in a world where wrong is not separated from right. No, no, I don't. But what I hear you saying is the separateness, the separatedness of things is that dualistic, like runaway thing that we don't want. Yeah. It creates what we don't want. Yeah. So, but how can you have, uh, clarity over right and wrong if you don't have right and wrong clear? I'm not actually advocating to go pre Genesis. Premises. Premises. If you will. That's way woo too. (laughs) Premises. Uh, I'm not saying we should go back to pre-morality or pre-distinguishing light from dark. We couldn't survive as a species. Yeah. Okay. I'm just noticing how it spins out. Yeah. And is there a part of the spinning out that maybe we don't have to do so for, like, maybe it's the eating of the knowledge of the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I don't know. Maybe it's the hiding in the bushes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. maybe at what at what point it's just an interesting story it's yeah. like at what where do we want to 
to find union again with our creator. How, how does separateness, how does duality find shalom? Mm -hmm. Is that something we want? To me, I'm not coming at it with any presuppositions about what do we do now? Yeah. I'm not saying let's, well, no, this is the problem. We got to get rid of all concepts of good and evil or we got, or anyone who believes that God is separate should stop doing that. I'm not saying any of those things. Right. I'm just noticing that suffering happens when we eat of the, that the curse of life being that uh, inherently suffering existence comes when we eat of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. Yes. So then what? Okay. Okay. <clears throat> I love this conversation. <laughs> I do too. I, I have another, can I just keep Please. peppering? <laughs> um, or, or let me give a, let me give a comment and then you can comment back. Uh, my greatest, my greatest, um, one, sec- one second. Yeah, you're good. Okay. You're still good. We're, yeah. We just keep, I don't normally record this long in a row. I just want to make sure we don't like it cut off. So sorry. Thank you. Um, Okay, I'm coming back to duality. And I keep coming back to this because, again, this is what your the past season's been tackling. Uh, the sort of, yeah, non-dual version of Christianity, those types of things. Um, so I have, I have biblical issues with it in that I, I don't see it in the text of Scripture. Mm-hmm. We've talked about that. Um, my greater um, problem with it, though is um call it theological or call it philosophical um what i hear from you and i don't want to misrepresent you but what i hear from you is that um what how things actually are at least how they ought to be is where all is where there is one that there is a unity of things of persons where to to say I love you is to say I love me, and to say I love me is to say I love you. To to uh, worship Christ is to embody Christ. Uh, that Christ Christ is not the title of Jesus, um, but it is a state Jesus attained to that others uh, hopefully can and will and. Christ is all and in all. And if we can only see that the world would be a better place. Is that, does that roughly get to what I've heard over this? Season? Some of, some of it. Okay. Um, Correct where I'm wrong. Cause I want to make sure I get it. I wouldn't throw any oughts in there or shoulds. Um, I do think it's a compelling. Oh, hey, how about this? I do think the fruit of seeing your unity with Christ and with all things of one of a branch, seeing how it is one with the vine. Mm -hmm. um, I do think the effect of that and the fruit of that would be the fruit of the spirit. And I do think the world would be a more peaceful, loving, beautiful place. uh, As if more of us woke up to that, yeah, woke up to our fundamental oneness with one another and with our creator. 
That being said, I, I only, I think putting an ought, the, the, the very easy thing to do is go, so therefore everyone should be like that. And that's, a, that's, I think that impulse is the impulse of the eating of the tree of the knowledge of good. I think it is the, oh, this isn't as it should be. Mm. I need something else mm. to be okay. Like we need to make this more beautiful. Mm. We need to make this more loving. We need to make this. And so now we're fighting what is with a, uh, with the words of accepting what is. It's a really weird <laughs> contradiction. So I, I, I both, I think that, and it's kind of both. Yes. Okay. And no to, to yeah. what you're saying. I'm not putting any shoulds or oughts. I got you. Ultimately. Okay. As a human being. Yeah. From the perspective of a human being, I would like to live in a world that is more peaceful. Yeah. And more loving. Um, but if, if I apply that to the ultimate reality, I'm just projecting my human ego and will onto God. Okay. I think. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm concerned that this view robs God of worship the God who is other than me. Now you don't see him as other than me. So, uh, so in your, in your view, it's not a problem, but in my view, it is the problem (laughs) (laughs) because uh, I believe I was made to worship and enjoy God. I believe that I exist to enjoy God. That's why I believe I'm here. That's why I believe you're here. I do too. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But when, but now, and that, this is my problem, because when you say that, <laughs> I think you mean, in a way, to enjoy me. And what I mean is to enjoy him, other than me. And when Paul critiques, uh, the Apostle Paul critiques the, the Gentile world in, in Romans chapter 1, uh, his great critique of them is that they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. Mm-hmm. And if I could get real Christiany on you, please. Um, I, I think the threat of this, uh, this philosophical w- worldview is that it makes creature creator and ascribes glory to those for whom God means for them to ascribe glory to him. And that makes me sad. Yeah. I can see how it would look like that. Yeah. I think to see it like that, you have to believe philosophically, ontologically, that the self is somehow... um, is its own God is it's like that it's, it's self existing without like what part of the self is, is not being actively created by God in this moment. What part, what cell, what micro at- subatomic string is not being breathed at by spirit as spirit. But what's the other thing? That's what I think. The, where I would say it's not actually about creature worship. It, it's what I'm getting at is when the creature fully worships, which is why I would say I agree. I exist. The creature exists to worship. And by that, I, I mean, to, I use the word enjoy. 
and I like enjoy. Yeah. I like enjoy. I like, I also like love and be loved. Okay. Yeah. I like receiving love to me. The highest state of being a me. Yeah. Is when you could just drink in divine love. Yeah. And you accept it completely. Yeah. And what happens in that moment is surrender is a full. And what I experience now is when that surrender becomes so complete that the love being received washes away the resistance that feels like it's having to receive it. And it just becomes the love itself. And the love itself is pouring into itself becomes the triune dance within itself. It is just divine love. And so it's not that the creature maintains. It's not that the creature is worshiping its own resistance. I think that's what the creature is, is resistance. I think it's resistance within God to God. That's what the creature is. And when the creature stops resisting, there is just then God. And the worship, as as the love flows in, it also is flowing out. It's that it's dynamic. And that's the experience of it. Hmm. That's the mystical union experience. Well, I do agree in the, that we are talking about a mystical exchange and experience. I agree with that. And I, I even agree, uh, as you probably have in your former life, that uh, there is a sense in which, I mean, the, the church is the body of Christ. <coughs> we, I, we mean two different things by that, if, if we were to affirm that, I'm sure. But, um, but I, I feel like the way you just spoke, to my, my perception anyway, it blurred the lines enough to where I, I, it becomes hard for me to distinguish where I'm directing my worship. And when I read the scripture, again, I keep coming back to the, the Bible, but when I read the scripture, it seems like the agenda is that we would consciously, cognitively, thoughtfully, emotionally be actively ascribing worship to, enjoying, loving, celebrating, love, loving, being loved by um, God, uh, the one who is not us forever. In fact, that's what so I turned to Ephesians one. Cause it reminded me of it. Uh, that's what Paul is talking about in Ephesians one, when he's, he's giving us an inside scoop into, um, uh, God's working before the creation. And he, and he says, uh, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind attention of his will to, or here's the purpose clause to the praise of the glory of his grace. So God chose us, saved us, uh, according to the kind intention of the world of his will. And his aim was, that forever into eternity, and he'll affirm this again in the next chapter, uh, the Christian church would be to the praise of the glory of his grace, that we would exist to praise the glory of his grace, that he saw um, he saw broken people who broke at the fall, and he moved toward them in love. Um, and that will so enrapture our affections and our intellect that for an eternity, 
we will be boasting in his grace to us. That's what I think the Bible teaches. And, um, and I, I, I'm Mike. The the reason I keep using the word concern is because I feel, I feel concerned that, uh, that is lost, uh, in other formulations, uh, or descriptions of it. Yeah. I think where you, I think the only place you really lost me there was in the will be as opposed to we are. <laughs> yeah. And will be, what, what are you talking about? Where you said at the end, you, when you stopped reading, you said, and this is what we will be doing. Oh, we, so I think are and will be, would be totally appropriate. We should be, oh, there's that word doing it now. Uh, uh, we are, uh, I would say I am imperfectly doing it now, praising the glory of his grace and how I live, how I talk to you, how I yeah. pray for you later, how I eat my meal, how I parent my kids. And then when I die perfectly, I will be able to do that. Yeah. So, to, and I, yeah, I agree with that. Um, I, I do think we interpret praising the glory of his grace differently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That to me, that used to mean... Um, giving intellectual and maybe emotional homage to an idea mm. about an other who was forgiving my shameful behavior mm. as opposed to praising the glory of his grace, actively surrendering that resistance that is my creatureliness, that is my flesh, that is my sense of self to as, and as I'm worshiping, as I'm receiving love, what am I loving back with? Am I loving back with my own love? Is that the highest form of worship? That's, that's what I meant before about me having to be my own God. Cause mm-hmm. it's like, am I, am out of me, out of my ego, out of my sense of separateness, I'm creating the love that goes to God. Or mm-hmm. is it really that it's God's love that flows through me back to God. Well, what's beautiful about that is I actually think, and again, if we really pressed each other, we would mean different things, but I think the scripture teaches what you just said, because every Christian, everyone who trusts Christ it is filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, Ephesians 1, 13. And all of the, the worship, um, good deeds, love expressed in this life by, by me, uh, ultimately, I, I think I could argue from scripture, uh, God takes credit for it in the end. So I think about, um, uh, Paul writes in Philippians 2, 12 and 13, you, you, you know this verse, I'm sure, but he says, uh, work out your salvation with fear and trembling mm-hmm. for it is God who works in you both to mm-hmm. will and to work according to his good purposes. Mm-hmm. It's a really bizarre sentence because he just said, do something. Right. But then he said, it's because his. he's doing something right. in you. Yes. So the doing you're doing, he's doing, he gets credit for yes. the doing you're doing. Yes. So I agree with that. Yeah. So I think I used to hate you, your Calvinist shit so much. <laughs> <laughs> I actually just think you guys don't go quite far enough with wow, your own that's theology instead of a Calvinist. This is this is special. <laughs> you say that everything is ordained and sovereign by God. Yeah. If you really believe that, though, okay. I'm so interested in what you're about to say next. 
<laughs> he said his Bible. Um, I said my, bring it on, man. Hold on, I'm rolling up my sleeves. Hold on. If you actually believed that, I'm gonna live stream this. <laughs> and you went the full way with your own doctrine. Okay. What aspect of the human will is doing anything? Yeah. Who's doing anything but God? Only God is doing. So God is surrendering to God. God is resisting God. God is disobeying God. God is creating God. God is destroying God. It's just the sovereign God. It's just that which is infinite. And the glory that he wants to receive, he will receive because it's his good pleasure. And he does that however he will including <laughs> a sense of self <laughs> that's separate mm. from him. Okay. Well, I think that, that, that's, uh, that might be what we should call hyper Calvinism. Shouldn't it? <laughs> that's, uh, that's actually probably a better construction. Yeah, that's of what it. I am. You're hyper- a hyper. Yeah. Oh, Michael Gunger. Oh, he's a hyper Calvinist. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's funny, man. Um, my comment back is the only problem with that sentence is the rest of the Bible. Uh, <laughs> so you don't get a chance to believe your own. So, no, I just, I don't think the Bible goes as far as you just went. So I, I think that Paul can say that and at the same time say that human beings are culpable for their sinful beha- behaviors. Now, if you if you were to ask me, and I, I should not be getting myself in this pickle because there's this is uh, there's no coming out of this. <laughs> if you were to ask me, Jimmy, how could it be that God could uh, be sovereign and humans be culpable and God not be guilty of sin? Uh, how could human beings make choices? God be sovereign; they make bad choices. Him not be responsible for their bad choices at the same time. I would say uh, you're we're, welcome to mystery town. I've, I've, this is, this is the space where any good Calvinist is going to go that the bot where the Bible stops speaking. I want to stop speaking. And there are points in the scripture where it's like, yeah, you're afraid it, to believe your own doctrine. <laughs> yeah. The, scri- <laughs> the scripture lives in that tension. Well, it's not that it's, it's that it's saying two things that, that it feels comfortable uh, leaving intention. And, uh, so I'm comfortable leaving an intention to, to say God is sovereign and yet I make real choices and ultimately God will get exactly what he wants in the end. And instead of letting my head explode, I'm just going to go, you know, take a nap and fly home. Yeah. So I, I really believe, and maybe if you think we disagree somewhere, I think if we, at the end of the day, all of our talking about the Bible verses and theologies and philosophies and histories. I think the actual thing we only disagree on is the view of what a self is Hmm. and who am I that I think that's really the only thing we disagree on. Hmm. I don't think there's anything that when I go, what is it that is me? I don't find any consistent thing. I see a bunch of morph, like you said earlier, (laughs) I see a body that's morphing. I see a mind that's morphing. If there's a soul, Mm -hmm. 
I don't know how that's still not part of the morph. Uh, whatever I am, there's no aspect of that that is self-sustaining just within itself. It's completely supported and created by whatever the greater thing is. God, whatever you want to call it. Completely, 100%. There's mm-hmm. no aspect that God is not actively doing, which makes me a doing of God. There's no aspect of me that's not being done by God. So that means 100% I am God doing. Except when you do incredible evil? Does no, but that's, that what I'm, that's what I'm saying. There's no... There is no, there, what, what are we talking about? That's doing anything. There is just the being done. There is just the doing itself. Yeah. And, and I think what I'm saying is you're free to believe that you just don't have a verse for it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, no. Okay. But but that's what I'm saying is the wizard of Oz. That's why I don't email you every week for your (laughs) podcast. It's because every week I hear stuff. I'm like, well, that's no, I, I, no, I'm not on that page, but you're entitled to that opinion. Yeah. It's not a, yeah, it's not even really an opinion as much as a, I can't find anything. Um, and I'd be curious if you can, yeah. <laughs> or if anyone can, as I, uh, that is the self existing self. That is the self sustaining God within itself. I am creating reality. That has nothing to do with God self. Um, I don't think that, I don't find that anywhere. So I don't, it's it's not that I believe in the other way. I I don't believe in that. So since I don't believe, I think that's really where our difference is. I think you believe in that and I don't. Well, I, I think I believe in a self that can make choices uh, and that's responsible for those choices. Um, and I feel like if I held to what you just described, it'd be really hard for me to, uh, feel culpable for decisions I made, uh, or to have any sense of anyone else having any culpability for decisions they make. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so that, I mean, that seems problematic, like (laughs) the legal system or, you know, God's legal system more importantly. Um, Mm Uh, and it feels, um, yeah, I just, at the end of the day, I'm just, I just can't make it square with what I read every morning. Yeah. And, um, and I think that it, if we just, I think when you think about it, it seems beautiful to you. And when I think about it, um, it seems like it robs God of glory and it robs beauty of man, uh, his creature, uh, because um, now there is not me making volitional decisions to lay down my life for the good of others or uh, praising God, enjoying him and his company. There's just this this your book right mm-hmm. it's just this right and um i think this doesn't say all the beauty there is to be said about 
God. Hmm. Uh but we're just going to keep disagreeing about that probably. <laughs> and that's okay. <laughs> yeah, it is that's okay. what the point of this was. It is okay. Yeah. Cause, and that's where I don't apply a should. Is yeah. Because for me, yeah. the that is yeah. part of this. Yeah. Saying, no, I am separate from God. And it's more beautiful that I make my own volitional decisions and get to make good decisions. That's more beautiful. I go, yeah. Because that's what's happening. That is true. <laughs> it is that is part of what's beautiful about what is this sense of separateness that we have to me is part of what God is doing. God is doing that. So why would I resist it? That that sense of separateness, that sense of sinfulness, that sense of shame, if that's what's happening and and finding a a salvation and a romance with God, God with with God from my perspective, who would fight that other than a resistance to it, which would be Michael. I think the Michael is the resistance to God. That's so sometimes Michael exists. (laughs) (laughs) It's hit or miss guys. Yeah. It's hard to know. It makes Lisa's life real hard. Is Michael here? No, he's not existing today. It's nicer for her. if Michael's not existing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. I like talking to you, man. <laughs> you too. Thank you. Thanks for this is so fun. sharing. It is fun. Any other things? We should do this more than every seven years. <laughs> I think we got to get on some type of rhythm. Where you it's... Could, yeah. You could have two conversations with the same iteration of Michael. <laughs> yeah. I just, yeah. Yeah. They'd have to be really close together. I think. <laughs> yeah. It'd have to be like tomorrow. Well, you got to see, now, now that you see it was like Michael falling apart, you can kind of understand, like you were talking to a shred here and a shred. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. It'll be interesting in seven years. Yeah, what happens. that's right. Yeah, we'll, that's right. We'll... I'll set a date on my iCal. Yeah. <laughs> no, it'd be fun to talk more than that. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Thanks for having me out. Thank you for always being um, a good conversationalist and like speaking what you speak mm. and what you believe without... And owning that, I just, I feel like it's so rare for someone to have convictions as strong as you, but to actually own that they're your convictions Mm. and not be like preaching at me from a place of lack and, and, um, fear and projection. Mm. So thank you for for not doing that. Thank you for being here and for, uh, being true to your own convictions and being bold and free enough to say where you disagree with me. Mm. Um, and also being willing to think and take what I'm saying respectfully enough to at least consider it. Yeah. 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 Dude. Uh, I'm grateful for you, man. Yeah. yeah Thanks you. for that. That's kind of you. Yeah. All right. Boom. Fun. Fun.